One of the new things that we've tried in the time of this pandemic is to host what we've called virtual coffees. These coffees are a chance for you all in the community to ask questions to me, and then I have a couple of days to respond to those, and then we post those, and it's a chance for us to interact. If you watched any of those, uh, you'll know that one of the questions that came to me for one of the virtual coffees involved asking how it is I write and memorize sermons. What's the process of that? And it is a strange process, as I described uh, to you on the virtual coffee. I'm not able to memorize things. I can't memorize lines. There's nothing in the sermon that's memorized, but rather my process is something that developed out of, out of a sense of failure. The process of writing sermons to me is uh, the way I was taught in seminary, and I think this is the right way to be, uh, to, to be taught how to preach, is to write out a manuscript and then use a manuscript in a sermon. And there are certain gifted preachers, John and Jill are two of them, who use a manuscript and it sounds uh, very natural and it's powerful and, and God works through it. What I learned is that the way I write and the way I speak are very, very different. And when I tried to write out a manuscript and then follow it in the pulpit, it was very wooden. It just didn't work. It wasn't very effective. And finally, someone gave me some advice and said, you know, what if you just try to write an outline and either take the outline up into the pulpit with you or, um, uh, or, or not and, and see where it goes? And that has developed for almost 20 years now the way I preach. And the way I preach is I uh, write a detailed outline for each sermon, and then to learn it and go through it, I walk around my house, usually if people are there, which they are all the time because it's 2020, uh, I go out to my garage and I will spend hours talking out this outline and I'll make notes and I'll change things. But because I'm me and because while I'm walking, I need something to do, I have always had a Nerf football. And as I walk and as I talk, I throw this football in the air and I will then kind of go and make notes and make changes. And when I came to Austin, when God called us here, uh, a member of the search committee uh, said, knew about this process and was a graduate of UT and said, you're in Austin now, you need a new Nerf football. And he very graciously gave me this football. And for uh, six and a half years as I've been here, every sermon I write, this football is what I toss as I talk through uh, my sermon. I explained this in the virtual coffee. And uh, a couple of days later, after the virtual coffee was posted, a package came for me in the mail. There's a note in the package that said, if you're going to have a Nerf football and do God's work while you have a football in your hand, you need to be using this one as well. And in the package came this. So now I have both. And sometimes when I'm preparing a sermon, I will use one. Sometimes I'll use the other. Sometimes I'll use both. Uh, this might explain something to a few of you who are like, I knew I didn't like that sermon a month ago. I bet it was a Texas A&M day. I bet that that's what they used, or I bet it was a UT day. And this explains kind of how things go. But these are essential parts of my writing process. Now, what you need to know about these, and obviously what you do know, is that these represent two very different institutions, right? These represent two very different traditions, two different sets of values. You can't be a part of both, or at least it's really hard. You can't say you're a UT fan, but then call for an A&M if and when they play um, against UT, and vice versa. You can't do it the other way. These represent an identity that we have. Point made. I'm not going to tell you who in the choir... I aim those at. Every group works with a kind of identity like that. Every group has something that gives it a common sense of who they are, of what they're about. You can't be in a book club if you refuse to read books. 
It's not that anyone's being exclusionary. It's just that you gather around common practices, common traditions, common values. You can't be a leader in the Republican Party if you vote for Democrats 95% of the time. And you can't be a leader in the Democratic Party if you vote for Republicans 95% of the time. We gather around certain practices. Communities sit there and say, this is what defines who we are, whether it's UT and A&M, whether it's Republican, Democrat, whatever it is, this gives us a sense of identity. And to be a part of it, these are the common values. These are the common traditions. These are the common experiences that we have. I want us to talk today about using this parable, the parable of the lost sheep as a way of understanding the unique identity as Christians that we have, that makes us different in the city of Austin, that makes us different in this world from any other group or any other organization. What are the things, traditions, values that we gather around that, that give us a unique understanding of what we hold in common, of what makes us community? Now, there's several different ways that this passage talks about the nature of community, but I want to specifically focus on the opening verses. That when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says to them, um, you know, you are, uh, need to understand that there, there are 99 sheep and there's a shepherd who has a lost sheep and the shepherd goes after that lost sheep. And I've wondered as I've read this, could there be a way that the understanding of the 99 is that they're not just left because defenseless because the shepherd doesn't care about them as much as the lost sheep. But if there's a sense of our common understanding, our common uh, uh, understanding of what it means to be the church, that those 99 have something, and what they have is they have one another. Then in essence, this can be an understanding of Christian community. And if we think about church and we think about Christian community from the perspective of what does it mean that those 99 are entrusted to each other by the shepherd, I think it can give us a unique picture and remind us of what it is is the essence that we hold in common that makes Christian community unique. Now, the first thing that I think we want to say about this is that there should be among followers of Jesus here in Austin and around the world, that the first thing we see is that there should be a level of authenticity and honesty to our community because our common identity is that we are sheep. And when you talk about sheep, there's not a ranking of sheep. There's not sheep that are more spiritual than others. There's not sheep that are better than others. There's not sheep that are more uh, entrenched in leadership than others. Sheep are just sheep. And when we understand that that's the thing that we have in common, that when we think about our stories at the core, that we wander away, that we are capable of great kindness and great generosity and great beauty. And at the same moment, we can be incredibly selfish just a few seconds later, that we wander all the time. That what it means is, is that what binds us together is that none of us is the hero of our story. None of us is the hero of our marriage. None of us is the hero of our family. None of us is the perfect leader that everyone should have on a pedestal and everyone should look up to. We are sheep. And when we understand that that's all that it is that holds us together, we can sit there and say, hey, if you're here and I'm here, what we know we have in common might not be speak the same language, may not have the same ethnic background, may not have the same colleges that we went to. Some of us may support UT. Some of us may not. That, that at the, that moment, though, what holds us in common is that we wander. And so there should be this place where we can be so honest about what that looks like in each of our lives, where we can take off the masks that we wear. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, says it this way. 
Those who remain alone with their evil are left utterly alone. It is possible that Christians may remain lonely in spite of daily worship together, prayer together, and all their community through service. That the final breakthrough to community does not occur precisely because they enjoy community with one another as pious believers, but not with one another as those lacking piety, as sinners. For the pious community permits no one to be a sinner. Hence, all have to conceal their sin from themselves and from the community. We're not allowed to be sinners. Many Christians would be unimaginably horrified if a real sinner were suddenly to turn up among the pious. So we remain alone with our sin, trapped in lies and hypocrisy, for we are in fact sinners. However, the grace of the gospel, which is so hard for the pious to comprehend, confronts us with the truth. It says to us, you are a sinner, a great unholy sinner. Now come as the sinner that you are, to your God who loves you. For God wants you as you are, not desiring anything from you, a sacrifice, a good deed, but rather desiring you alone. Rejoice. This message is liberation through truth. You cannot hide from God. The mask you wear in the presence of other people won't get you anywhere in the presence of God. God wants to see you as you are, wants to be gracious to you. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and to other Christians as if you were without sin. You're allowed to be a sinner. Thank God for that. God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. It's a long quote, but what Bonhoeffer's expressing here is exactly this idea that what we hold in common is that we are sinners. And what Bonhoeffer reminds us of, and you and I always have to be aware of this, <clears throat> is that the danger is when we insist on purity, rules, morality, religion as the thing that holds us together. Because that's where, in his words, we gather around piety. And that's where we start lying to each other. That's where we start living in isolation. That's where we start lying to ourselves. Because you're not allowed to be truthful about who and what's gone on in your life this week, this day. We also have to be aware of that and realize that that, that that idea of purity being the thing we gather around is some of what's happening in our society right now. Some of what's happening in our society right now is that we're becoming more and more ostracized because there is an ideological purity that is demanded on both ends of the, of the kind of political spectrum. And if you're not a part of that, then you are either kicked out or if you don't want to be kicked out, you start hiding what you really think, what you really believe, because, because purity is the test which says who's good, who's bad, who's in, who's out. Religion does it, but, but secularism does it as well. There is a lack of tolerance that rises. Bonhoeffer's talking about that. The thing we have to celebrate and remember is we are sheep. And so we can be honest about it, not hide it from each other. But the other thing that sheep do when we have that common identity is not only are we more and more honest, not only can we be more and more authentic, but sheep also can remind one another of the love of the shepherd. Not remind each other about the rules, not remind each other about morality, not remind each other of, of guilt and shoulds and everything else, but remind one another of the love of the shepherd. That even when it feels like we're alone, even when it feels like the shepherd's forgotten us, even when it feels like that life is caving in, that we can remind each other and say that the shepherd loves you as much as any other sheep. 
You see, when we're totally honest, sometimes we're going to discover things in our life that we can't just get advice in in community. Do that, it'll be better. Sometimes pain and wounds go deeper than that. But when we go to those places in honesty, we can also remind one another that the shepherd has not walked away, that as Catherine read, we can walk through the darkest valley knowing that he is with us and prepares a table before us, a banquet feast. I saw that happen this week. I saw the uniqueness of Christian community on display in one of our Vesper services on Wednesday night. If you've not come to one of our Vesper services, I hope you do. It's part of our campus beginning to reemerge and reopen. Uh, I hope that you'll make a reservation and, and join us on uh, an upcoming Wednesday night. They are wonderful times to be together, to worship together, to see each other. There are children and youth and adults of all ages who are there. And this week, I saw two women in our community who were very successful in their work, in their careers, and they have worked hard for that. Probably in that working have had to wear many different masks to get to the place that they've gotten to as all of us do. And as they were waiting for the service to begin, the older individual turned to the younger one and said, here's my name, can you tell me your name? They worship at different worship services on campus. And said, how are you doing in the midst of this pandemic? And the younger woman said, well, in some ways, fine. But here are the things that are actually really hard. You saw someone have the courage to take that mask off in Christian community and tell the truth. The older woman looked at her and said, can I pray for you right now? She didn't look at me and say, hey, that's the spiritual sheep. He'll pray for you. She said, can I pray for you? And just lift that up to God, to the shepherd, and she prayed for. And as it ended, the younger woman said, this is exactly what I needed. Thank you. How can I pray for you this week? And the older woman then shared some very real ways that she needed prayer. These people are living this out of being honest and authentic because they both know that they're sheep, and yet at the same time in prayer, reminding each other that they are loved by the shepherd. When we are at Covenant talk about being a love letter from God to the city of Austin, we must remember that this is more than just our mission, more than just our finances, that there is something unique about understanding who we are, of the honesty of saying none of us is perfect. None of us is perfect. None of us are the hero of the story in every single way. But we can be honest in that and remind one another of the love of the shepherd that redeems and transforms all things, and that living that unique calling out is some of how Austin will change because we are here. As we look to the weeks ahead, as we look to 2021, as we dream about what God wants for this congregation, may we commit ourselves to walking this path in all of our diversity, united by the fact that we are sheep, and that we are loved by the shepherd. Amen.